0: and welcome back to another edition of the PensCast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Behanna. As always, alongside me is fellow contributing writer over at pensburg.com and co-host of the PensCast and the PensCast Mailbag. It is Robbie Noggle. Robbie, we talked uh, just a couple of days ago, more recently, about Mike Sullivan's uh, – the, the, the hot seat and Mike Sullivan's potential to return and remain – as Pittsburgh Penguins head coach. And uh, as we mentioned in last week's episode on, on Friday or Saturday, wh- whichever day it went out, uh, we will be scaling back content here at the Skating Penguin Network uh, for the foreseeable future until we get some General Manager news, front office news, whatever you want to use to describe it. However, we still will be having a weekly PensCast mailbag episode throughout the offseason. So at least, at the very least, from now until whenever a new General Manager and front office is put in place, uh, we will be here giving you some some fun and entertaining mailbag topics to to answer, uh, thanks to your participation on Twitter. So Robbie, uh, as always, we will get this mailbag underway and you get question number one here. Question number one comes from Brendan. And he is talking about a potential acquisition of UC Soros, a goaltender that you mentioned and we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. What would it cost to get UC Soros and would you actually pull the trigger and trade for him? For example would you possibly trade Jake Gensel, your 2023 first-rounder, and goalie prospect Joel Blomquist for a player like UC Soros?
1: Well, if the Predators are in a position where they're moving on from Soros, I think they're going into a at least a moderate-type rebuild. Uh, there's still some good pieces there on that team, but UC Soros is Predators' version, basically, of Ilya Sorokin in New York with the Islanders. Uh, some good pieces around him, but he is— the staple. He is the backbone of what uh, that team is able to do. Uh, And he was really the reason that Nashville was in the playoff fight until the final two or three games in the West. So Sorrow's price, uh, if he's available, is going to be high. Um, Not only his price of uh, acquisition, but also his his contract price. Uh, So you have to kind of factor in both those both those variables and starting with his acquisition price. If they're going into like a moderate rebuild, it's going to be big time on picks. So I'm thinking you're probably going to need at least two first round picks uh, to get him. Blomquist probably moves the needle a little bit because they're going to need a goaltender in the system. I'm not ready to give up on Joel Blomquist uh, quite yet. He really just came to North America, just got a taste of hockey at the end of the AHL season. With Barra and he's be- he's going to begin his North American career uh, in full next season. So again, I don't know if that would necessarily be necessary. I think what they'd be looking for is more assets, as in terms of picks. And I don't know if Gensel is necessarily on that on that radar. And I'm not really a fan of trading Jake Gensel. I know that he's been kind of kind of been more of a hot button topic the last few years, but I mean the the kids still went out and scored 36 goals this year on what was considered a down year. Um, a lot of people had him pegged at a 50 goal scorer. Didn't quite get there, but I don't think that he's someone you just toss away. If the option was there and the price is right, then yeah, I make the I make the trade. I'm not sure if Jay Gensel fits that comfortable price for me, but I'm more comfortable with moving picks, even in a draft like this. I mean, unless – if that pick turns into a top-four pick and you're talking about a potential franchise player uh, in this year's draft, especially how deep it is at the top, maybe you try to go a different direction. But uh, if Soros really would be uh, on the market and the asking price is right, I think you have to make – at least have the discussion about bringing him into Pittsburgh. You could probably get the right contract to work. He is that good. He feels immediately feels a massive need for the Penguins in goal. So, I mean, overall, I couldn't say no to it uh, if the price is right, uh, just because I'm that high on Soros. But if they demand too much, or his contract price comes in too much, then you know I'm fine with saying uh, I'm fine with moving uh, in a different direction and seeing what else is out there. Trading for a goaltender is not easy. Uh, that's why you don't see it done all that often, uh, at least not. I mean, sometimes you'll see prospect goalies move back and forth, but uh, for the most part, I don't see sorrows coming to Pittsburgh unless the deal's right. But if the deal is right, then I'm all for it. Question number two is from Brian. Uh, although it's very weird feeling not being in the playoffs, I'd rather this than be in and get completely embarrassed. Maybe this is a wake-up call the organization needed to make the proper changes to compete.
0: I think, at the very least, you're, what you're seeing so far through the first round of the postseason is that had the Penguins gotten in and had they punched their ticket and clinched a playoff berth, I, I don't see any way that they would have made it past the first round. Even even with Crosby and Malkin, uh, it doesn't look all too favorable for the Panthers and the Islanders, the teams that the Penguins were fighting with to clinch a playoff spot uh, in the first place. So. To to Brian's point, you hate to see it because it stings, and you want Crosby and Malkin and Latang to be in the postseason for however much longer they're playing. But like Brian said, maybe this is the the wake up call now. Fenway Sports Group needed. I'd be curious to go into a different timeline and see had the Penguins made the playoffs, how much success would it have taken for Ron Hextall to remain. general manager of the Penguins. Would it be a win in the first round? Would he have been fired had they lost in the first round anyway? I'd also like to know how far in advance FSG knew that Hextall was going to be fired anyway. It would be extreme to say anything short of a Stanley Cup results in a firing, but if Hextall had gotten out of the first round, maybe had a, a longer series in the second round with the team that he built, maybe he's still here. But yeah, this at the very least, this was going to be a wake-up call for the players and the executives in this organization. Hopefully, the new general manager comes in and he can sort of retool on the fly. It's easier said than done, considering some of the contracts that the Penguins uh, have on their books right now. That is a conversation for when the new general manager and hockey operations department is put in place. But yeah, I agree. This is probably a big wake-up call, even for the relatively new owners in the Fenway Sports Group Collective. Question number three comes from Brian. Where do you think this season goes if these front office changes were made sooner? Maybe if they were made a few weeks before the trade deadline, meaning if Ron Hextall and company were fired, do you think the season could have been salvaged and potentially earning a playoff berth?
1: I'll go as far as to say maybe they earn a playoff berth, maybe the Grandland trade, likely the Grandland trade, Is it made? Maybe they make a different move that works out a little bit better or just do nothing, which may have been the best choice uh, in the end altogether. Uh, So, yeah, maybe if they make those changes midseason, something different happens. Again, I don't think they wanted to make the change in season just because it seems like Fenway Sports Group has big overhaul plans for the Penguins. Uh, So, if any change would have made it on an interim basis, therefore not much happening, and maybe hey, maybe hey, they still squeak. I mean, even with the, the changes they did make, they were within a point of making the playoffs uh, in in the end. So maybe, who knows, maybe they do. Um, maybe there is a little more fire under them if that front office was just cleaned out before the season, but I, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Maybe they squeak in, maybe it's the same result. I think it's a 50-50 toss-up as to how it plays out if they would have made any kind of front office changes before the season. But I think in the end, Fenway Sports Group had no plans on doing that. Uh, and they their plan was to do it at the end of the season uh, to begin with. So yeah, I think it's a 50-50 toss-up as to what uh, happens if that change is made. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's too drastic one way or the other. Question number four from Brian. Uh, we, we all know what Brian Burke's job title was, but what did he actually do?
0: Instead of making a joke and saying Brian Burke did nothing while he was here, the president of hockey operations, that title, again, I wasn't in the room with Hextall and Burke, but I can't imagine the president of hockey operations held much weight in terms of personnel decisions and putting the team together on the ice. I could be wrong. I could absolutely be wrong. Again, we Brian asked the question because we still, to this day, and maybe never will, really understand what Brian Burke did with the organization. But I imagine Ron Hextall was in charge of player personnel, putting the on-ice team together, while Burke was maybe in charge of uh, some more executive-type decisions, business-type decisions that really don't have much of an impact on what you see on the ice. On a nightly basis, the hockey op, the president of hockey operations is more or less of something of an advisory position. I don't think unless I'm proven wrong, I don't think Brian Burke really had too much, too much influence on the players that Ron Hextall and his confidants acquired in the end, Brian Burke as president of the hockey operations it will remain a mystery to a lot of people, but at the end of the day, I think it was more or less just a, a fancy title, with a name with a name like Brian Burke, who was recognizable in a lot of hockey circles. Uh, he's he's been around the block a long time, uh, and now he'll just go back to. I imagine he's just going back to do TV uh, an- analyst work in Canada. So he hopped right back on his feet after after uh, getting out of Pittsburgh and going right back up to be a TV analyst, probably. So good for him. Question number five. Robbie, I, I left this question for you. This The next question comes from Brian, and it's not really a question. It's more or less a statement. I'm as surprised as maybe anybody that the Pittsburgh Pirates are having as much early season success as they are. So, Robbie, I know you're a baseball guy. Have you been following the Pirates closely? And how confident are you that the Pirates can sustain this level of success?
1: I mean, yeah, a huge baseball fan and obviously following the Pirates. Uh, it's been it's been fun so far this season, and uh, and that's really I mean when your expectations for your baseball team is I hope they don't lose a hundred games, I, I, anything like this uh, is uh, I consider a win, and I'll take that uh, over about what the or over what the alternative uh, could have been. And see, it didn't start off great this season. Struggled. They were one and two out of the gate, and then since then they're what, fifteen and. Five, I think, Uh, just been remarkable since then. They have, as of this recording, they've won seven in a row. Everybody points out that they've been doing it against bad teams. Well, hey, good teams beat bad teams. So, can they keep it up? I honestly think the offense is legit. I think the offense is very well positioned to have a very big year and carry them, and that's without O'Neal Cruz. Uh, If they can stay in that mix until he gets back in August then they've done their job. The pitching has been otherworldly. They had like, I think it was 10 or 11 straight quality starts, uh, which was almost like a modern day record. It was like one or two short of uh, the record. And every team kind of in that mix of them had made the playoffs in the past. And the pitching has been excellent. It's been far exceeded my expectations. I believe it will regress a little bit. I I think they're maybe pitching a bit above their head. But I don't know if it's going to re- regress to the point where I thought it was going to be. I really thought the the pitching was going to be the true Achilles' heel of this team. And by that, I mean just downright dreadful. And, yeah, there's been some shaky moments, uh, especially in the first, like, two weeks of the season. But during the seven-game win streak, they've been utterly phenomenal. Uh, one of the best units in the bigs. And I'm really excited to see what this kind of group can do. Mitch Keller, who has been kind of a whipping boy... Uh, for Pirates fans, it has, has been excellent. And him being what they thought he's going to be the whole time is an absolutely massive uh, development for this team. And if you're a Pirates fan and you're not happy with this, you're lying or you're not actually paying attention. Nobody expected them to be nine games above 500 uh, at this point. They, as of this recording, currently lead the NL Central. Uh, and they have some big games coming up, though, some big prove it games against the Dodgers, the Rays. I know the, the Blue Jays are in there too. So uh, some prove it games coming up. And, hey, obviously they're not going to win out. You're never – I mean, it's baseball. You're not going to win your next 150-some games and end the season like 152-7 and seven or something like that. But if you can just stay within the, the playoff conversation until O'Neal Cruz gets back, then, man, I'm all for it then. And I'm really, uh, really excited. And I think most of Pittsburgh uh, is excited. And if they're still – playing good ball here around Memorial Day, it's going to be a fun summer in Pittsburgh. So get out to the park and support that team because it's going to be a a pretty fun atmosphere. And if you remember back in 2013 through 15 when the Pirates were really good, how crazy that ballpark was, I think we'll see it again here. Uh, The Pirates can keep this up. Uh, Question number six, uh, again from Brian. Whoever becomes the new GM, you have to hope it's someone who will give Mike Sullivan players that complement his system. I never understood why Jim Rutherford traded away pieces of that speed game that worked so well, and I don't even want to comment on what old Ron Hextall did with his moves.
0: I think Robbie mentioned it uh, either. I think it was last last week's mailbag where he was answering a question regarding Jim Rutherford and how much blame Jim Rutherford should take for where the Penguins are now. And it comes down to, I think that you could see the beginning of the end happen when... Rutherford traded their first over their first-round pick for Ryan Reeves, because as Robbie mentioned, Tom Wilson got into Rutherford's head at that point, and he felt the Penguins were were soft and they didn't have anybody to protect the stars. So that's where that sort of philosophy came in, and probably started to butt heads with what Mike Sullivan wanted to do. And that takes me to Ron Hextall. I, I don't even understand the moves that Hextall made. To his credit. Him trading for and extending Ricard Raquel was probably the highlight move uh, of his of his tenure. Uh, however, extending Jeff Carter and trading for Mikael Granlin really go against everything that Mike Sullivan at least publicly has been saying and how he sort of deploys his team and how he runs the whole operation. And that's what never made sense to me is that Mike Sullivan holds, I would imagine, a hefty amount of sway in that locker room, in that organization as a whole for how long he's been here. Was there really no communication between the general manager and the players he was acquiring and the head coach who has to put the lineup together and has to put the players out on the ice? I mean, if wires were crossed, I'll never understand why the kind of players that were acquired by Hextall and to a lesser extent, Jim Rutherford really did not, it was like water and oil. It did not mesh well with what Sullivan had success with early on. And granted, the stars did get older. They're not really able to play the the kind of a game that they were playing when they were 27, 28, 29. But even then, you're acquiring a player like Ryan Reeves, Grant, and Jeff Carter, All of these guys who really don't do anything with speed, they're not blazing skaters. So uh, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It boggles my mind. I don't know how much communication there was between the coach and the general manager. Uh, But again, yeah, it doesn't make any sense given how Sullivan likes to scheme out his team and the, the kind of game that he likes to play. Question number seven comes from Brian. I think the team should look for another top four left-handed defenseman to pair with Chris Latang this summer. If Hextall would have done his job and acquired uh, Jacob Chitrin when he cleared all of that cap space, we wouldn't have to have this kind of conversation or even the Mikael Granlin conversation. Robbie, do you think that the Penguins need to beef up their top four this summer?
1: Yeah, the Chitrin trade's going to sit with us for a while, I think, um, especially when you look back at the price that uh, Ottawa paid for him just, man, they just dreadful that that was passed up on a team like the Penguins without even making an offer, what it sounds like. Yeah, Chikrin with Crystal Tang would be awesome. I believe that is going to be Marcus Pedersen. I think that he's definitely earned at least a shot uh, playing on the top pair with uh, Crystal Tang now that Brian Dublin will be likely uh, headed elsewhere. But I think that Chikrin, yeah, it's going to be one that we look back on. Especially if he plays well in Ottawa, which all indications from his short spell after the trade deadline uh, up there look like he's going to be a perfect fit for them and that young team and what they're trying to do. I don't know what's out there exactly, what the Penguins are willing to trade. I personally believe that Marcus Pedersen's earned that chance. Then you also have to factor in Ty Smith, Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Are they top four? Don't know, Honestly. Ty Smith, we got a very brief look at. We have really no inclination of what he is or what he can bring. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how how that all plays out in the coming years. I would give Marcus Pedersen that shot uh, and maybe not make a big splash move on defense. But again, like you mentioned, the Chickren move, obviously frustrating uh, given what he went for. But uh, the new general manager, he's going to just have to deal with the hand he was dealt and I, I like giving Marcus Pedersen a shot up top there. And if that doesn't work out, uh, maybe look uh, for some other potential options. It's not easy trading for a top four defenseman uh, in the NHL. It's expensive. Their contracts are expensive. Uh, their acquisition costs are expensive. So it'll be interesting to see what the new management has, what ideas they have for the def- the, the defense, which will definitely be worked reworked in some way this offseason. So whether that includes a new partner for Chris Letang, uh, outside the system it remains to be seen, but it'll be definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, question number eight uh, from Brian. Uh, someone asked about signing JT Comfer, who is an unrestricted free agent this summer, but the question was a little uh, too late to make the mailbag. They mentioned him providing scoring while also being able to shut be a shutdown yeah. guy.
0: Looking at some of his stats here, he had the best offensive season of his career this season. 17 goals, 35 assists, 52 points. He was a plus 8, played in all 82 games. He's a pretty decent possession player, too. Uh, this season was some of his best possession works. 52, 52.3 Corsi 4 percentage, 52.4 Corsi 4, per, or Fenwick 4 percentage, so uh, right now, I think his cap hit was 3.5 million. So, if they if the Penguins can can sign a guy like Confer and, and bring him in uh, for for a depth role like that, 52 points for a depth player like Confer. Granted, he was playing for uh, a team in Colorado that is geared up to be a powerhouse and Stanley Cup favorite. So, I'd be interested to see if Colorado extends him at the end of the off or if uh, if he does hit the open market. But he's only, he just turned 28 recently. He's a right-handed shot playing on the wing. I would totally not be against a player like J.T. Comp for coming in and, and filling out that bottom six compared to what it was last season, that's for sure. Question number nine comes from Brian. So say in theory, we somehow get the fourth overall pick. Do you use it or flip it to Nashville in a potential deal for a player like UC Soros? If you do use it, who is the target for you, Robbie? Is it Leo Carlson, who's projected to be a top five pick in this year's NHL draft?
1: I think you, I think you use it personally, unless you just can't, unless you feel like you just can't say no to Juicy Zaros I think you use it. Uh, the name to watch out for that I've seen uh, popping around with people that are kind of been daydreaming about maybe getting a uh, top four pick uh, is, uh, I believe it's, Matvey Michkov, he is a forward out of Russia. Um, his, okay, so his basic star comps um, are Jack Eichel, Patrick Kane, John Tavares, Sidney Crosby. And, oh and pretty pretty good there. Um, he is just turned, a little over, about 18 and a half years old, 5'10", lefty shooter. Um, his star probabilities are 99%. His NHL probabilities are 99%. He's basically guaranteed to be an NHL player. Um, yeah, unless every, unless, somebody, unless the hockey gods drop everything and decide that Connor Bedard belongs in Pittsburgh with that number four selection, uh, which would be one of the funniest possible things that ever happened in the history of the NHL. Um, <laughs> I just hope that for that, if that happened, that uh, Twitter would hang on long enough for that to happen. Because that would be absolutely otherworldly. But I mean, just the Penguins getting a top four selection would just blow up Twitter in an absolutely phenomenal way. That the first time the Penguins miss the playoffs in in a lifetime for some people, they end up getting a legitimate franchise player. So Bobby,
0: I don't want to interrupt you. If you thought Elon Musk buying Twitter was going to be the death nail in that website's coffin, uh just imagine what what Twitter how Twitter would implode if the Penguins end up with a top five pick. I mean, it would that would be the demise of Twitter, not Elon Musk. It would barely get into the ground.
1: There would be smoke coming out of the servers uh, if the Penguins were to get a top four uh, draft pick. It would be absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, obviously it's it's fun to dream, and I mean, cross your fingers. You, I, I mean, crazier things have happened. Yeah, if they if they get that, I'd look at a guy like. Uh, Mishkov, who seems to be the one of the big names that is circling around there. I don't know as much about Leo Carlson, though I have heard the name. After Bedard, there's like three or four guys that are kind of in that top five conversation. And it seems like Adam Fantilli is second. And then it kind of goes on, I guess, what your scouting says. So if the Penguins get that fourth overall pick, that the energy from the anger will sustain me until the draft. So. Uh, No matter who they end up picking there, I'll be happy with it. Uh, Question number 10 uh, from Brian. Are the playoffs playing out how you would have thought so far?
0: For the most part, uh, looking at the brackets right now, Colorado has a 2-1 lead over the Seattle Kraken. However, Seattle has been playing them very tough. I I was surprised at just how, how tough that series has been. That's been no cakewalk for the Avalanche. I know the Avalanche... Uh, and many circles aren't favored to win, but just how how much grit and and how much heart and determination, all these buzzwords that I hate using, but they're the perfect descriptors to describe how tough Seattle is playing the defending cup champions. Uh, Dallas and Minnesota tied at two, I think the, the last game uh, to tie the series at two games apiece came with a little bit of controversy in terms, uh, if you're a Minnesota Wild fan, talking about, Marcus Foligno and how uh, how much hatred he had towards the referees for what was a, a shaky tripping call that eventually led the Dallas Stars to win that game three to two. That series is tied. I think that could go either way. Vegas and the Jets. Right now, Vegas holding a two one lead over the Jets so far. Vegas. Uh, I, yeah, I don't. I think Vegas is going to end up. I think they have too much star power. To compare against the Jets right now, the Jets are still a wild card team. Oilers and Kings. I was watching a little bit of this the last game, and I think the Oilers were down three nothing. I think it was they were down. They had a three goal deficit, and it looked like the Kings were were uh, really on their way to putting the Oilers on life support. However, McDavid and crew came back to win that game. I think they won it five to four if memory serves. However, they won the game and tied the series. At two games apiece, the Devils all have a two-one lead over the New York Rangers. I think the Devils will squeak it out, maybe in six or seven games. Carolina is, I think, uh, Carolina and Boston are the only teams right now that have uh, three games to they have three games to one lead. Carolina is probably going to put the final nail in the Islanders' coffin. The Islanders cannot generate enough offense to survive, and Carolina is an Eastern Conference juggernaut right now Toronto and Kyle Dubas if you're if you're paying attention at home for a potential general manager candidate the Leafs lead the the Lightning 2 to 1 in the series right now uh, that game could i could see that i could see that series easily going 7 games even and up two games apiece but wouldn't it be it would be absolutely wonderful for the Leafs to blow another uh, another first round series having a 2 to 1 lead right now it would just Fill me with so much joy and we'll wrap it up with Boston leading three to one over the Panthers. Boston is the head and shoulders favorite to win it all this year, leading three to one over Florida. And uh, I imagine they will, if they don't do it in five, I can't imagine it going past six. So for the most part, yeah. Uh, the early indications throughout round one are playing out pretty much how I, I thought they would still a lot to be decided, a lot of meaningful hockey to, to be played. So uh, we'll we'll see what the remainder of the first round has in store for us but yeah for the most part it's been playing out pretty much how I expected it to. Question number 11 comes from Gino I was watching the Carolina or yeah, the Carolina Hurricanes and New York Islanders series today, and couldn't help but imagine if the Pens had acquired Brent Burns instead of Jeff Petrie. Brent Burns' cap hit on Carolina's roster is 5.28 million, while Petrie is 6.25 million. The Canes only paid a third-round pick, Stephen Lorenz, and an AHL goalie to get Burns' services. Gino says he can only imagine what the kind of player Burns would be in the black and gold. Robbie, do you agree with Gino's assessment regarding Brett Burns?
1: Yeah, before I answer, I just want to send a uh, thank you to Evgeny Malkin for uh, tuning into our podcast and submitting <laughs> Absolutely. Um, a mailback question. Very, um, very, very nice of him to do that. And hopefully he spreads the word around uh, the Penguins locker room uh, when they get back together uh, in the fall to get everybody listening to the podcast. Uh, So thank you, uh, Gino, for uh, doing that for us. And uh, back to the question. Um, I think this is a very uh, hindsight kind of answer because the season the Penguins got out of Jeff Petrie is nothing that I think anyone expected. Uh, Petrie came in with a very high pedigree. The cap difference, I mean, you're talking about like a million bucks. Eh, That's not really that much, I'd say. Uh, The Penguins did pay a little bit more to get Petrie. But again, Petrie... Came in with a very, I mean, high pedigree of being a great hockey player. Uh, you kind of, if you remember back to the bubble series with the Canadians. He actually killed the Penguins in that, in that qualifying series. Uh, he was such a menace. He's been good going way back to his days in Edmonton. He's been a phenomenal blue line anchor for the teams he's played on. He's been uh, such a steady force. And really, what the Penguins got out of him was completely unforeseen. Nobody expected that to be coming, even with his age. And he showed signs of being being that guy. It just did not pan out. So where they go from here, I don't know. It's easy to say, yeah, if they acquired Brent Burns now, it'd be completely different. But what we saw out of Petrie this year was just completely out of the blue. Nobody expected him to struggle like that. When the trade was made, a lot of people were really high on the trade. They thought Petrie fit in perfectly with what the Penguins are doing. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. So we're kind of back to square one uh, with all that. But it's easy to look back in hindsight and say Brent Burns would have been the better option. Uh, but I can't really blame too much on the front office for bringing or making a move like Petrie, uh, given really what he had done his entire career. Uh, again, from our good friend, uh, Mr. Evgeny Malkin. Is keeping Carter as 4C that bad of an option? He obviously doesn't have a, the step he once did, but can still provide offensively at times. He can't; uh, he cannot kill penalties. Face-offs don't matter, but he finished uh, top 10 uh, in face-off win percentage. By trading Granlin Petrie, feeing up close to $12 million, uh the pens can upgrade a lot.
0: Yeah, the Penguins, if they buy out Jeff Petrie and perhaps they do trade, or if they buy out Granlin and perhaps do trade Jeff Petrie or buy out Petrie, I think Petrie is staying on the roster next season, and they do have $20 million to work with by default. So I imagine a Granlin buyout is the most logical uh, step forward there. But looking at Jeff Carter, if Carter has to play, and I know ill will towards Jeff Carter, the player, the person I think, I think we've both made that abundantly clear over talking about him for what feels like the last year at this point. No ill will towards him, but look, he's washed. He is absolutely washed and should not be on the ice on a, on a regular basis. He intends on coming back next year to finish out his contract. If he has to play, I guess it would be on the fourth line, but... Do not put him. I, he cannot go back on the third line. He 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 cannot take those kind of minutes. He'll just get spun around when the opposition is coming into what is the Penguins' defensive zone. It would would not be ideal to have Jeff Carter playing any sort of minutes because I think he is just going to be taken advantage of because he can't skate. Yeah, if he gets into the offensive zone, he'll chip in with a goal here and there. Uh, you know, maybe kill some penalties, but. I don't want to make it like you're, it's not as simple as perhaps playing the NHL video game and buying out all the bad contracts you don't like. But if you're looking at Mikel Granlin and Jeff Carter, those would have to be the two logical solutions to the two logical contracts for you to buy out this offseason. And you just have to deal with the fact that it may sting in the interim a little bit and hamper you in the interim. You are getting some relief. But the salary cap, with the salary cap projected to skyrocket within the next two to four years, I think, finally rebounding from COVID, I don't think a buyout is going to be that much of a difference to what the Penguins are trying to accomplish now. Take the take the, take the the hit now. Maximize what you can with Crosby and Malkin if that means... Like, granlin and carter both go and say thanks for your service we want to go in a different direction that is what i would do i would not bring jeff carter back i think his best days are obviously obviously behind him and uh i i would find perhaps ryan paling has earned the the fourth the permanent fourth line center role perhaps drew o'connor maybe sam poolin comes up for more than more than a cup of coffee if uh, he is all well and ready to go I know he's been playing some center in the uh, in the AHL. So the Penguins do have options if they'd like to get younger, which I think they should be trying to do, getting younger and faster and creating a, a, a more competent, more effective and efficient bottom six, and that you do not do that by continuing to employ the services and continue to dress players like Mikael Granlin and uh, Jeff Carter. Question number 13, the final question. Oh my goodness, I forgot to put the name of the person who submitted this question. So if you're listening and this is your question, uh, my sincere apologies for for not putting your name from the tweet here. But question number 13 for you, Robbie, the final question. What do you think the best and worst trades are in Penguins history other than the Francis, Samuelson, and Jennings trade for Cullen, Zalapsky, and Parker trade, which is clearly the best and the Naslin for Stojanov trade, which is clearly the worst.
1: I mentioned a couple of weeks ago uh, the Hosa trade uh, has to be up there for one of the best trades in Penguin history. Didn't result in a cup, but was the first, oh, hey, we're buying into this, the whole thing, uh, kind of deal with this next generation of players. Um, the Kessel trade has to be in that conversation uh, as well. I mean, if you look at the, the, the trade off, you gave up almost nothing. Ah, uh, to get Phil Kessel, who was an integral part of two Stanley Cups, arguably could have won a con Smythe. So obviously that trade has to be in there. Worst trade, I'll go. I'll go kind of under the radar. To- bad trade here, uh, but the one that sent Jared McCann to Toronto, it was kind of a foreshadowing of just complete roster management um, by the Ron Hextall Brian Burke uh, front office in Pittsburgh. It just gave Jared McCann away for essentially nothing to get a few, I don't even remember what they got back for him just cause they didn't feel like protecting him. Uh, and then he goes to Seattle and score 40 scores 40 goals. Um, so yeah, just kind of giving him away for nothing other better than, I mean, I, yeah, I can't say that the Granland trades, he hasn't been like, it, it's a bad trade and might be the worst of maybe. It is, yeah, I get, maybe it is. I, I mean, I know he was only here for a couple weeks and, if he is somehow on the roster in October, then, yeah, that trade's easily one of the worst in franchise history. So I put it as a yes, but with an asterisk, depending on how it all plays out. You, when you take out the, the Francis trade and the Naslin trade, it kind of limits down onto uh, what all uh, you really can do, what all you can talk about. I, again, I live with that Hosa trade just because I was the first like buy-in with this new generation, and Hosa was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, in Pittsburgh, um, the Kunitz trade has to be in that conversation as well. Uh, Kunitz was absolutely phenomenal in Pittsburgh. Uh, three Stanley cups, uh, was kind of the first veteran piece of that Penguins generation. I mean, he was a veteran on that 09 squad, um, that won the cup, and then, uh, he was a veteran piece for years after that, but he was like a very, a veteran piece on that 2009 squad that went to the cup. So. Uh, That and then, yeah, I kind of the McCann trade is just a bad trade, one of the worst in franchise history. I wouldn't go that far, but low, low key bad, bad trade that we'll look back on someday, and we already look back on now is like, man, what a big screw up and what a foreshadowing that how bad it was gonna get.
0: Alrighty. Well, with that, we will wrap up this edition of the PensCast mailbag. And uh, as I mentioned at the start, uh, content was probably going to be light for the foreseeable future. If news does break, we will be sure to bring it to you uh, through the PensCast. uh, And uh, we will be the first to let you know when those episodes go live. But for the foreseeable future, plan on having an edition of the PensCast Mailbag delivered to your podcasting platform of choice moving forward throughout the summer months into the off-season as we get deeper and deeper. Uh, but until we meet next week for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the PensCast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.